Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen, and today is our first ever Facebook Live episode. I'm just clicking the Go Live button now, so hopefully if you're uh, on the New Haven Independent Facebook page, you'll be able to watch me and Alan Appel and uh, Lucy Galman, who should be arriving shortly, talk about our movie of the week. Uh, on today's review-only episode of the show, we will be talking about The Founder, John Lee Hancock's new movie about the bullish rise of Ray Kroc, played by Michael Keaton, an over-the-hill milkshake salesman from suburban Illinois who charmed, clawed, and exploited his way to the top of the American food chain through his expansion of the fast-food restaurant McDonald's from a local burger joint in San Bernardino to an international franchise behemoth. Joining me on today's conversation are my usual movie review buddies. Well, Lucy Gelman is on her way, but Alan Appel is in the studio. Alan is a reporter for the New Haven Independent and the host of WNHH's This Day in New Haven History. Hi, Tom. Thank you for coming on the show, Alan, and for uh, braving the Facebook Live video stream. I know that your eyes are dutifully cast downward away from wherever the uh, video may be projecting. I'll do my best to uh, (laughs) smile and I wish I had shaved... You look great. Different shirt. You look great. But it'll be great. Okay, so about a third of the way through the founder, John Lee Hancock's new movie about the man who established McDonald's as an iconic international institution, middle-aged milkshake salesman Ray Kroc is making a hard sell to the restaurant's founding brothers on his vision for the business's future. He argues that the McDonald's restaurant's golden arches could be, even must be, as recognizable in any American small town as the church steeple and the courthouse flag. Here is a company that can transcend the outmoded organizing principles of patriotism and religion and represent the new ideals of the American century. Consistency, efficiency, comfort, consumption, and profit. The arches, he contends, will supplant the flag and the cross as the defining symbols of American public life. So, Alan, as I watched this movie about an American entrepreneur stampeding his way to business domination, I couldn't help but think of a passage from one of the great works of modernist and political writing, none other than... Marx and Engels, 1848 Communist Manifesto. And I'm going to throw, throw a very short excerpt uh, at you that I had running through the back of my head as I watched the story of Ray Kroc. So, quote, Constant revolutionizing of production, uninterrupted disturbance of all social conditions, everlasting uncertainty and agitation distinguished the bourgeois epoch from all earlier ones. All fixed, fast-frozen fast relations with their train of ancient and venerable prejudices and opinions are swept away. All new-formed ones become antiquated before they can ossify. All that is solid melts into air, all that is holy is profaned, and man is at last compelled to face with sober senses his real conditions of life and his relations with his kind. Um, so, fast, fast frozen, that sounds like they were onto a, a communist fast food idea in the 19th century. <laughs> fast and, frozen and all fish that, sticks. All that is solid melts into air is a wonderful title of... Uh, the Marshall Berman book from 1982. That book, was That right. was really what drove right. me to this quote. There but So with this mesmerizing and apocalyptic excerpt in our ears, Alan, as you reflect on the founder, did you find anything more than a pretty mediocre soap opera of a movie about a midlife crisis and a fast food empire? Or did you perhaps see the heady drama of capitalism and all of its destructive profanity? Or even better, did you feel inspired to found a business or eat some French fries and a Big Mac? Well, um, you know, I think I think uh, th- there is a lot there. Uh, uh, yes, it is a bad movie in many ways, but it is. Uh, I really think it's a movie of the moment. But I, you know, if we if we were writing um, 
if we were writing uh, a kind of a review of this for the independent with words, uh, printed words, I think the lead would have to say that this really is a movie for the moment of Donald Trump. Uh, that's uh, the movie sticks with me. And one of the reasons it sticks with me is this is really the portrait of a brander. Uh, there are kind of many wonderful lines in, in the film, but um, uh, w- one of the um, things that comes through in the history of Ray Kroc is that he essentially stole um, the, uh, I guess, Dick and Maurice McDonald's uh, idea. Uh, it's debatable, of course, but but uh, he stole the idea of um, the speedy system, and then I guess what his contribution was was franchising. But it's uh, he was often called the cheese burglar, and uh, which I think is absolutely wonderful. But but not to be confused with the Hamburglar, who was part of that <laughs> McDonald's <laughs> series of characters. But but the, the 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 sequence that you cite, hi Lucy, hi Ellen, the sequence that you cite where where he is trying to um, where the idea is aborning in in his mind, uh, and I think Michael Keaton's big face and his eyes and uh, his big forehead is one of the most effective things is the use of close-ups. And you, you, you sort of watch the, the capitalist um, uh, wheels turning. And, and in the scene where he's prowling around to, to, to see how the golden arches might join the cross and the flag is really, is really wonderful. But it's all about branding, and it's all about, uh, it's all about superficialities. Um, but doing them with such um, conviction... And such uh, 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 spreading them so widely that they uh, become powerful, and the drive to do that uh, in an individual who has no interior life—I think that's the—if that's the failure of the movie in many ways. Uh, we don't really know what makes Michael Keaton tick, except the drive uh, in the beginning to stay positive in spite of doors closing in his face, and then as it goes on to, to just to to drive forward for its own sake. Boy, if that isn't a, a, a way to understand um, Trump's success, I don't know what is. That, that to me, is makes the movie really chilling and a movie that people should see. So you've keyed in on one of the most important parallels between Ray Kroc and the current president of the United States, and that's the obsession with branding. And maybe that is delivered, I mean, quite explicitly at the end of the movie when we get a monologue from Ray Kroc about the importance of the name McDonald's. Ultimately, he's only the only thing he's interested in in this company, which isn't true. I mean, he's interested in a lot of what they have innovated. He's interested in this incredible, the, the workplace efficiency, the kind of tailorization of fast food that they have implemented in their kind of podunk San Bernardino burger joint. Um, he's interested in the family-friendly atmosphere that it supposedly presents and the wonderful soaring kind of symbol of the arches that emulate the St. Louis Arch where he's coming from and indicate that expansion, that looking towards West, looking towards constantly growing. But ultimately, he is obsessed with the name McDonald's because he sees in it a name that can be filled with just about anything that the viewer or the listener or the reader wants to fill it with. But of course... The parallel doesn't end with the obsession with brands. It also uh, includes the 
money generated not from producing anything, but rather from real estate, right? The money that Kroc ultimately makes has nothing to do, and quite explicitly nothing to do with what happens inside the restaurants. This is the legal technicality that he uses to get around any kind of violation of his contract, but rather owning the land on which the restaurants right. are built. You're not in the burger and business, you're in the real estate if we business, think of somebody advises. A, a realtor who is not actually involved in construction or destruction, but rather in, in branding, I think the parallel with Trump is is quite clear, but Lucy, as first, welcome to the show. But I also, hey, um, the maybe one of the the first maybe moment of the movie that really tipped off. Okay, maybe this is a commentary inadvertently on Trump, is when Ray Kroc is explicitly compared to Hitler, <laughs> in that the McDonald's brothers are talking about whether or not this really ambitious entrepreneur from Illinois, who's constantly pushing to expand uh, their restaurant, is someone who they can trust with a contract or anything else. And uh, and the more benign brother says, ah, he's he's not so bad. He's just really eager. You know, he's not going to cause any harm. And then Nick Offerman's character, the more conservative brother, says, that's what never cha- that's what Neville Chamberlain said in 1939. <laughs> he compares the you know this this milkshake salesman to Hitler. And I found I, I found it. It was just kind of a throwaway line in a pretty um, mediocre and innocuous movie. I'm I'm really not sure where this movie ends up on Ray Kroc. But at least one of the characters compares it to Hitler, and I wonder, Lucy, did you did you see a a man comparable to Hitler or Trump or any other ambitious bourgeois um, kind of ubermensch in in this movie? No, no. I mean, I mean, I th- I think that is uh, too hyperbolic, sort of a a connection to make. I don't think you know, Tom. This is something that we talked about. I don't think this movie came out. Uh, you know, being surely favorable of Ray Kroc. And there's even a question of, is he a good guy or a bad guy at the end of the movie? But, um, but, but no, I, I do think it depicts him rightly. So as someone who is so driven by ambition and so driven by the idea of what success is, um, and, and what failure is and sort of a, just an incredible fear of failure that, um, that he he kind of pulls a fast one over on a lot of people and is not a charitable dude by the end of the movie. I mean, arguably, he's not a charitable dude when we're introduced to him and he's selling what what is it? The five mixer milk milkshake no, eight, machine. Eight, 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 eight. You could do eight milkshakes at once. <laughs> oh my goodness! That's like yeah, that's like at least four cardiac arrests. I know, and the thing is so heavy. He has to he has to schlep it into the stands and then open up his trunk. Right. And we should say, I mean, the I think that the Alan and I were talking about how On Point has a whole episode dedicated to this movie going on right now, or or maybe it was at eleven o'clock, in which they interviewed the director and basically they just kind of recap the plot of the story. And it's a, it's an incredible story, but I also want to talk about the founder as a movie and maybe what we found lacking in it. But let's start with the very opening scene. Actually, the book ends to the movie in which we see the salesman making his pitch, not to any particular person in the room, but to us, the audience. We have a close-up of Michael Keaton looking at the camera in the beginning, trying to convince us of the value of the milkshake maker because it represents this you know, way to, what, what is it? More supply creates more demand is his kind of, his mantra. And he's got a chicken egg. His chicken and it's egg all, analogy. All, and, and you're actually not sure in those opening sequences. He might be talking to himself in a mirror, and then it turns out he's actually talking to somebody who shuts who, the door. In his who face. shuts the door. But then ultimately, I mean, what he's saying is important. But really, by the end, the closing monologue, we realize 
it's more what he's doing and how he's doing it that defines this character. Mm-hmm. This is a character defined by um, persistence, right? Persistence, ambition. This is a guy who will not quit, who doesn't really have... I mean, he comes from a, a pretty successful, boring life, right? I mean, he has he has a fair amount of money. He's got all of the white male privilege that he needs. He lives in suburban Illinois. I mean, this is a guy not selling milkshake machines to save his life or his family rather this is a guy who is kind of desperately caught up and that's kind of why i wanted to read that marx quote to start this is a guy wrapped up in just the constant energy and confusion and destruction that is inherent to uh capitalism well, and so well, i wonder well, uh, what, what do you think of those opening monologues and just the presentation of keaton as the salesman par excellence and annoyance well maybe because in part i was i was a little kid in the i'm in the 1950s but uh what 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 really grabbed me about those opening sequences uh, was when he um, after the door is shut in his face he takes a record and he puts it on and it's a record I think it's by a guy named Dale Carnegie who was very famous in the 1950s for uh, a racket he had he was a sort of a promotional speaker type guy and his racket was the power of positive thinking and it's like this guy's Bible. And this may sound like mumbo jumbo, but in fact, thinking really hard about success will make you success. And persistence. They're they're geniuses who don't get to first base because they're not persistent. And that's all that motivates him. This is sort of like the strength of the movie is you sort of know his main motivation. But the weakness of the film is that um, you never get inside inside him. You never get much beyond that. Um, And... um, uh, it, you know, I was mentioning to Suzanne, to my wife on the way over here that, uh, I, I had read the Hollywood reporters review of this movie. And I used to think the Hollywood reporter was, would write these fawning things, but they're very sharp. And the guy said, uh, the reviewer whose name, uh, forgive me, it escapes me. He said, the movie seems ashamed of itself. Mm. Uh, it doesn't know where its moral center is. It presents this guy, this interesting guy, but, but did uh, it, it's, it seems to land on the side of being sort of embarrassed by by this being all there is in the character and in the story. We don't learn about the world of McDonald's at the time. We don't learn about much about the the poor workers learning the speedy system. We don't have much of a kind of... It, it, it feels a little bit like a kind of uh, Mad Men. Lucy, this movie, I think, forms the pretty lackluster conclusion to an incredible trilogy of movies that came out in recent years about the American uh, kind of businessman, salesman, just megalomaniacal personality who succeeds in business by uh, by kind of clawing his way past friendships, past relationships, and towards money. Uh, the first one in 2010, David Fincher's The Social Network, that tells the story, the kind of loosely fictionalized story of Mark Zuckerberg's incredibly misanthropic rise to the creation of Facebook, where, again, this is uh, a talented filmmaker and written by Aaron Sorkin, one of the best dialogue writers around, where we get to dive incredibly deep on Zuckerberg and we get to understand that as motivating as anything else for him is this deep and profound sense of rejection. You know, he is this kind of puny little Jewish kid from Ardsley who's trying to make it in the social clubs of heart of Harvard, and he's trying to claw his way into that inclusion and friendships be damned. The second one being the Steve Jobs movie by Danny Boyle that came out two years ago, again, written by Aaron Sorkin, again, a very talented filmmaker that pays a lot of attention to structure and writing and going into, you know, this guy who is an idea man. He's not necessarily the one creating the machines. He's trying to sell you on the idea of what Apple as a company is. John Lee Hancock and the writer of this movie are not up to the level of David Fincher or Danny Boyle or Aaron Sorkin. 
But do you see this as, uh, I mean, what, what did you think of this as a movie? Alan and I have, have let our disappointments be known a little bit, but um, did the story, did the like intrigue of the story outweigh the mediocre filmmaking or did you think it was mediocre f- filmmaking? Did, yes. Give me some responses. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought this movie was the height of mediocrity, actually. I, I really did not enjoy it. And I think... You know, one thing that when you're when you're talking about this as thinking of it as the third step in a trilogy, Tom, I think it's really important to recognize that the cast for those first two, especially the social network. I mean, you've got Jesse Eisenberg, who sort of has the Michael Sarah effect. And what I mean by that is he does one role really well. And that role is like the neurotic, uh, nervy Jewish kid who just wants to fit in. You know, he like he goes there. That's the place to which he goes. He kind of does the same thing in uh, the end of the tour, and he does it really, really well. Um, but there's I, something sinister about him too, right? He's not the oh yeah. He's not a neurotic trying to uh, please people, but ultimately a harmless person. This is a guy willing to inflict a fair amount of harm on everyone around him. Oh yeah, there's something very austere and and very dark there. I think absolutely. This movie, you know, I I like Michael Keaton. I really, really do. Um, but I don't know if he was the best casting choice for the movie, or I don't know if he gave uh, some kind of middling dialogue everything he had. I mean, this was not a super deep character. And unfortunately, you know, I've I've not read any interview where he says, well, I was given this script and this is what I had to work with. And I'd be interested to know, you know, how he came away from it, because I do think there is an interesting storyline here but I kind of felt like I was watching a made-for-TV movie. I'd be much more interested in either uh, sort of seeing a documentary really on, you know, here's, I'm going to give you 50 years or 60 years of McDonald's, which is complicated. I mean, their business model is complicated and messy and interesting um, and and now um, killing a lot of people worldwide who are eating this terrible food. Um and and so I think that's really interesting. You know, I, I can't help but thinking about an episode of This American Life that came out, I think, two, two and a half years ago that Zoe Chase was on. She's one of their best reporters and producers. And she went into, I think it was a McDonald's, um, and, and kind of sat in executive meetings and tried to get into the mind of the fast food company. And that was so much more interesting and so much more successful even though you didn't have a visual component, the narrative kind of worked by itself. And in in this situation, it just didn't. Um, I mean, Tom, we, we saw the movie together and I think I leaned over to you about an hour in and said, do you want to be bad and leave the theater? And I wasn't joking. I mean, I, I kind of felt like I had gotten everything I needed to by that point and I could have left. Well, I really would take exception I, I uh, with one of your points, Lucy. I, th- I think one of the successes, if, if there are successes with this film, and I think there are, is that... Uh, you really learn, um, if you don't know anything about how business works, how an idea goes step by step and you, there's trial and error and you know, kind of wonderful scenes laying out the speedy system with chalk on a basketball court and having all these people do the burger ballet so they get the movements right. And uh, another wonderful scene for me was um, when... Um, uh, Michael Keaton is uh, launching his first place and uh, he's examining a burger that uh, has only one dollop of ketchup from the device. And that one should, pickle. And it should two, have two right? pickles, pickles and yeah. one dollop of ketchup. And then, and then it, we, you know, so the movie um, teaches you about 
step by step in uh, how business works. Then you need financing, and then uh, and then it turns, of course, with the financier who he meets at a bank where he's desperate to pay his um, his 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 mortgage or whatever it is, his back payments on his loan. So I think you do learn. I did anyway. Maybe I'm naive about capitalism, but it tells you how you go from a little hamburger stand to a large corporation. I like that. What, what I, I would have left because of, uh, if I had to look for a reason to leave, is that y- you never learn anything about his relationship with his old wife or with Joan, his new wife, and the relationship between the McDonald brothers is fascinating. These are two guys who live alone. Who are they? Um, uh, are, are you know their whole life seems to be the burger stand. He ha- he and his wife, the Croc uh, and his wife, have no children. There is a kind of uh, chasteness, a kind of monkishness about this movie, as if capitalism and being successful uh, is the um, only value that exists. I'm going to stop you right there because there are a lot that I want to pick up on and what you've just said, what both of you just said. But first, let me say you're listening to Deep Focus on WNHHLP, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm your host, Tom Breen, and I'm joined by the wonderful, uh, non-megalomaniacal Alan Appel and Lucy Gelman talking about John Lee Hancock's new movie, The Founder, about Ray Kroc, the quote-unquote founder of McDonald's. Um, Alan, I think if a missed opportunity in this movie is the relationship between Ray Kroc and his wife, played by Laura Dern, who I think gives a good performance with very little to do. I mean, she's someone who has to kind of look... Uh, supportive and unsatisfied in suburban domestic settings. But the few scenes in, you know, at the kind of hoity-toity country club and then at an Elks Lodge in which she is is kind of forced to put on her best face because she is so isolated at home. I, I, I thought she did fine, but ultimately that relationship is really played pretty uh, melodramatic and trite. But now let's get to the, I, I really want to talk about the McDonald's brothers in this because they they appear in a lot of the movie and yes, they have a fascinating relationship with each other and with Ray Kroc. And I think they give some of the better performances in the movie, too. Nick Offerman and John Carroll Lynch play these kind of these uh, celibate, almost monks of, uh, of uh, Dick, business Dick, culture. Dick and Maurice. And yet I love how, so their founding you know, mythology is that they grew up very poor in New Hampshire and they drove out to California because one of them wanted to be in the movie business, right? They were chasing that American dream as much as Ray Kroc is chasing that American dream. Uh, but what they did instead was they drove trucks in Hollywood, right? They, they weren't writing or directing movies or acting. They were the guys hauling stuff around. And what they ultimately build is this restaurant that embodies the kind of turn-of-the-century uh, industrial obsession with efficiency. But what's so interesting about what they create is, again, going back to the Communist Manifesto, they so they implement this kind of depersonalized industrial super-efficient system for making food but everyone loves it. <laughs> Maybe that's where this movie is like completely, you know, and imbi- doesn't know where it falls on capitalism or anything else. It's like everyone in this, this kind of horrible, like depersonalizing experience of becoming just someone who rotates a half inch to drop a pickle. Everyone, once they get the system down, everyone's really happy. This is a way it's like when the means of like capitalist efficiency are implemented at a local scale, this movie seems to be saying there's a lot to benefit here. It's a place where you're not attracting these sexually rambunctious teenagers, but rather (laughs) drawing in, you know, family friendly crowds. You're providing like a good customer experience with quality food. Of course, there's no discussion of where the meat comes from, but it's all about how people put it together and how it's presented to the customer, kind of that immediate customer relationship. But everyone's really happy. 
until it expands and it becomes this, you know, monster international thing. You're too young to have gone to a a restaurant where you drive in and a girl in little cheerleader shorts skates up to you on roller skates and asks what, what you would like. And then she skates back and she brings the order to you. I have vivid memories of going to Dolores's on La Sanaga and Beverly Boulevard in LA in the fifties. And it was fabulous. And the fries were fabulous. So, there are some of us who do miss that, uh, I, I would like to register. But the ideal McDonald's <laughs> customers, according to Ray Kroc, they don't want to have anything to do with these scantily clad waitresses. They want immediate satisfaction. And then they create this myth around, like, ultimately, immediate satisfaction is what it's about. And everything else around it, it's like, that That would be fine. But ultimately, it's about delivering promptly and efficiently and consistently. And soul, this and, and, and without a soul. But in the McDonald's brothers part of the story, didn't you get the impression that, like, Everyone was digging it, <laughs> like they were loving what was happening. Right there, because it was because it was it was it was it like was perfect. It was local, and it was it, it had it had a sense of the locality. It it hadn't been transformed into the 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 franchise is the is the enemy. Capitalism is okay as long as you know the capitalist and he's your neighbor. It becomes an issue when it goes into nine states in the hundred countries. And that's what Nick Offerman's character, when he says, I'll have you know I'm a card-carrying Republican, is one of the best lines in the movie because this guy is the incarnation of this earnest mid-century Republican who thinks you can pull yourself up with your bootstraps and hard work and honesty. Um, Lucy, is there anything in the contemporary kind of it, as someone who has a show about food, I'm you know we haven't spoken about your own background in food, but this movie is about food, kind of. But also, is there anything in you know today's society that obsesses over local food and the proximity to where things? Well, this doesn't. The founder doesn't advocate for growing food locally, but no, it certainly it does, does advocate for for knowing your your local capitalist food entrepreneur. Is there anything that people in the in twenty first century New Haven can get behind in the McDonald's brother model of uh, of fast food? Well, I, I think before even food, Tom, you have to kind of scale it back and and look at politics and look at a divide that we've all seen happening in the Republican Party, and I think. You know, the movie uh, is about these three men, two of them who are are brothers and and then Ray Kroc, um, who both have very specific ideas of what the American dream is, who both consider themselves kind of conservative guys with honest American values, who in fact have very, very different views on, on what they want to see. And so for Kroc, it's franchise, franchise, franchise. And I think for these two brothers, ultimately, you know, they talk about in the beginning of the movie how they tried a franchise originally and there was no quality control. And I think even though they too are obsessed with this model of efficiency, they left their customers and they left their little stand. I mean, I maybe I'm just a sucker on, on this point, but I don't think that you can underestimate sort of the power of keeping things local. And then if you're switching to talking about the food scene, yeah, I, I mean, I think now you see a divide uh, between people who do go to, you know, still like fast food establishments still make a ton of money, even though there's all of this like organic mumbo jumbo speak out there. Um, But on the flip side, there is, I think, a lot more discussion around farm to table, for instance, organic, uh, you know, folks, restauranters and um, and sort of foodies who talk about, well, where does your food come from? economically, we're talking about two very different discussions. You know, you you can unfortunately sort of only have the farm to table discussion at this point if you have a certain level of wealth and privilege um, or if you are sharing that level of wealth and privilege with other people. 
you know, the stand still exists here in New Haven. Tom, I don't know if you or Lucy or our listeners know of the Glenwood Diner up on Whitney Avenue. Do we know about the Glenwood Diner? No, Actually, although I was going to say Louis Lunch is Oh, forget Louis Lunch. <laughs> Louis Lunch has, first of all... We are uh, on the radio, <laughs> People are listening. <laughs> well, Louis Lunch, Louis Lunch is a triumph of uh, advertising <laughs> and uh, resting on your laurels. But the Glenwood Diner actually established, and it's not really a diner, it's a hot dog place with fries and, you know, a sort of a, a bigger menu than the original McDonald's in San Bernardino. But uh, I am not ashamed to say that uh, I go up there uh, if we need sort of a, a, a kind of a dinner. You get three hot dogs and um, for about $12. They're expensive. But this place was established in 1954, and it is um, everything that the original McDonald's was. People love it. It's one of a kind. It's high quality. People actually, uh, in this instance, they stay inside. And it really is a kind of a triumph of, um, of and you know, they, it, you, you sort of enjoy the their system. They have a speedy system when you go in and you ask what you want. And there's one guy who repeats your order, two dogs, one burned, one well. <laughs> and it's fabulous. I hear it in my dreams. Um, so I, don't, I, I think, ironically, the movie... Uh, the, the movie makes the point that local is good. I think the movie lands on the side of being ashamed of itself. And I, I think that Croc's character, as well as much as he is a cipher for the audience, he too is ashamed for of the kind of destruction that he is um, that he is casting upon this to to a certain extent. I mean, he is some in that he'll bring a bouquet of roses to a person who he is driving out of business. He's someone who's presented as having a, a bit of a conscience, but is overwhelmed by his ambition. Um, and his greed. And, I mean, and his I mean, greed. He's Lucy, a very greedy person. But Lucy, this, I mean, we were talking about some other comparable movies in this kind of American trilogy of entrepreneurs, but two movies that John Lee Hancock has made um, to much acclaim before this were The Blind Side and Saving Mr. Banks. Two, oh, the, the Disney. In, two incredibly right, right. innocuous movies that, you know, also look at these American heroic figures, but Saving Mr. Banks in particular, telling the story of Disney. Uh, it's a it's kind of a fairy tale portrait of this right. American figure whitewashing it completely of anything complicated. And now, to the credit, I mean, the founder is an ambivalent movie. It's not unequivocally positive about what Ray Kroc does. But I do feel like the eye and the tone of it are almost a little too, like, nonplussed. You know? well, well, the movie is very, it, one of its pl- I'm I'm talking too much because uh, I don't know I grew up in LA and around these places, but you know the movie is so sunny and sort of sort of wonderful sequences with uh, the arches and great cars. And we from get the a 1950s. lot of montages with this gentle acoustic music. But underneath. when the movie oh. turns darker and he begins to be rapacious and really destroy the lives of these brothers, who your sort of heart goes out to, it stays light and bright and sunny, and and somehow its style. And the darker turn that it takes are no longer in consonance. But the one movie that it does really bears some comparison to, and it and it it it, it, will, it results in a belittling of this film. The, the 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 great movie about the iconic entrepreneur um, is Citizen Kane, mm. and the large face of Michael Keaton at the end. Uh, boy, if that isn't a quotation from uh, Orson Welles saying Rosebud, but by the time Welles says Rosebud. Boy, not only do we know about how you uh, how a newspaper um, gets to be so powerful, you know the interior life of this man and uh, kind of a secret unrevealed until the very end. All that 
uh, wonderful darkness is missing in this and film. And the role that consumption has played in the destruction of that man's life. Here, consumption is wielded as like an axe in that it's something that Ray Kroc uses to um, to bolster his own fame and success. Uh, I was also thinking about Billy Wilder's movie Ace in the Hole, in which we have a journalist who completely concocts this uh, this human interest story right. out of a a man who's supposedly trapped in a collapsed mind. Fab- fabulous but film, Kirk Douglas about Pete, right. right? Someone who is willing to exploit anyone and everyone around him for that sweet little bit of success. Lucy, can I? I want to talk for a second about uh, women in this movie. There are a few women, and one of very my flat, one of my flat, favorite flat. lines in the movie. I, told, I already told you it's tangentially related to it's. It's uttered by Michael Keaton's character, but it's tangentially related to women. It's in this really strange scene where he's in a steakhouse in Minneapolis and he's eyeing the wife of the owner of the steakhouse and then ultimately he winds up singing with her at the piano and it's it's very strange. But he's half drunk at the table. He knows that he's going to make his move in this woman and out of the corner of his eye, uh, his eye and out of the corner of his lips, he says... I used to sell pianos. <laughs> and you know that he's looking at this woman like he looks at something that he buys or sells. Uh, I thought in that one line was the perfect, like I needed more of those lines from Keaton and from Croc, but can you, could we go into women a little bit, the Laura Dern and then I don't know the name of the actress of the new wife who just kind of flit, flits yeah. in at the end. Yeah, I mean, this was, I think, a fairly antiseptic movie. If I can briefly return to your point of, you know, Saving Mr. Banks and The Blind Side, the second of which is one of the worst movies in the history of this country and probably every country in the world. Um, but I but kind of course, charming. Saving Mr. No, not charming at all. Horrible movie. Um, but wait, but, Saving Mr. Banks or The Blind Side? Blind Side. Oh no, I haven't seen that. Terrible Sorry. movie. Um, but of course, Saving Mr. Banks is like all the charm of Walt Disney without any of the Jew hating, right? And and so that's also a, a really problematic and uh, kind of very cleaned up movie. And so I think within that antiseptic tone, you get these fairly flat female characters who are probably very talented actresses who do everything they can and and just don't have a ton to work with. I think Joan is a character, so the woman who becomes the second wife and who has ideas about what McDonald's can become and how McDonald's can be more profitable for Ray Kroc is interesting because she too shares that sense of ambition. And we see this in a couple montages, including um, sort of a split screen phone call between the two, between Ray Kroc and, and this wife. So the woman's in Minneapolis. Ray is back at his home in uh, it's suburban Illinois. And they're, they're talking basically around ambition. And, and so I think that's interesting. But I mean, the, the treatment of women in this movie, um, I would say, was not like outright offensive, but it also just didn't do anything special for me. I, I mean, this no one on this movie dug deep when it came to the writing of women, the way they were performed, or I think the way that the actresses were pushed when the movie was filmed. Alan, one of the few kind of visual decisions that I really appreciate in this movie is how we get to see that there's nothing glamorous about getting down and dirty in the fast food restaurant business. In that when we see Michael Keaton's Ray Kroc making his pitches to all of the kind of old moneyed country club people, or even better, the owner of the steakhouse, they're all dressed (laughs) in these three-piece suits, right? They're all really, you know, dressed up for their expensive occasions. And then they're they're also trying to get Ray Kroc to let them in on the business because they see an opportunity. They want to be a part of this success story. They want to be busy again or something. And then we cut to them and they're wearing these little paper hats and they're frantically running around the kitchen and they're, you know, they're working in 
in fast food. I I really but, I appreciated but, the change in in just complete circumstances and the dashing of expectations for these people. Yeah, if, I I loved his, the search for quality control and and the search for financing. Mm. This is what I was referring to earlier about learning the business. And one of my favorite lines, Tom, in 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 the film is when is when after he's been successful in converting one of his country club friends to become a franchisee, he goes and he sees, my God, the sin of adding chicken and biscuits <laughs> to the recipe. So he, and, 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 and not only that, he looks at the burger that somebody is eating and it has a piece of lettuce sticking out and he grabs the burger from this, this shocked customer who's been eating it and he takes it, he gets in his car and he drives to the golf course and he stalks the franchiser and he said, look at this. And, uh, and the guy looks at it and he said, what's wrong with that? And he said, not only are you selling chicken and biscuits, which is not part of our arrangement, look at that burger. No pickle on it. It's missing its dollop of ketchup. That's not a burger. That's tragic. You know, as, it's, as we it's think really about it. just like his entire world is that burger. That could be like the, uh, the chalice or something. It's, it sounds so much better than I think it plays out on the screen, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm thinking of, you know, there's almost an exact parallel sequence. And if there, we're also, in this American trilogy, we also have, we're in the middle of a Keaton renaissance of sorts and that he was the star of Birdman, the highly acclaimed Birdman um, from a couple of years ago. And also he was one of the stars of Spotlight in which he plays the editor of the Boston Globe team that uncovers the Catholic sex abuse scandal in Boston. Um, and I don't know if either of you remember the scene in that movie where he goes stomping onto a golf course to shake down the lawyer of the Catholic Church. So he's good at stomping on golf courses, but uh, in the context of the founder, I just it didn't have didn't have the same impact. But we're we're running out of time. Uh, I used to sell pianos. It sounds like you guys did not use them. <laughs> no. um, but it sounds like neither none of us are crazy about the movie, but we're all really glad that we saw it. Well, I, 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 my final word is that it, and not only am I glad that I saw it, I really, I, you know, to this question that everybody is asking, when Donald Trump says, make America great again, what is the world that he's thinking of? Um, I think in many ways, the world of the founder is the world that uh, 70 year old Donald Trump is thinking. And this about. movie embraces that world too. Totally. Uh, Lucy, any final thoughts on this movie? No, I, I think Alan nailed it. If you want to pay 6 to $11 and see the tragic fall of Michael Keaton, I mean Ray Kroc, um, go see this movie. Make America eat McDonald's continually. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Alan Appel and Lucy Gelman. Uh, we will be thank back you. next week for another episode of Deep Focus. Thanks, Tom.